I'm glad to be able to share with you. I haven't been up here in the pulpit for a few weeks. It, uh, I, was, I wasn't preaching here, but I was preaching elsewhere in other parts of the world. So I want to share with you as a church a lot about my trip. Uh, I was in South Africa, but I also want to share with you the other people uh, that we support in the area of missions or outside of this church. And um, talk, I want to talk a little bit about that, about vision for it, as well as sharing stories. i got a lot of photos to go through and things like that. So I want to begin with a verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You know, a lot of times we can get into an insular mentality where we think, well, there's plenty of work to do locally. We'll let the rest of the world worry about themselves. But the problem is that doesn't line up with what we see as examples to us in the early church or how God designed the gospel to be. And after Jesus had ascended into, or after he had resurrected and he was about to ascend in heaven, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says this to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And we know that happens in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes, and you will be my witnesses. What does it mean to be a witness? Telling the story. You've seen me resurrected. You know my ways. You know my teaching. You know the covenant I'm establishing with my people. You are my witnesses. You're the ones that are going to talk about this in Jerusalem, which is the central area where they were. It's the main city locally. And Judea, which is the area around Jerusalem. And Samaria, another area nearby. And to the ends of the earth. Where are the ends of the earth? Any flat earthers here? Don't raise your hand. Where's the end of the earth? What does that mean? I mean, Montana's about as far away as you can get. There's some other parts of the world that are a long ways from Jerusalem where this story of the gospel began. This gospel was designed to go to the ends of the earth, a worldwide movement, something so powerful that it, would, it wouldn't stop when it was launched that day. The Holy Spirit came, and Peter preached the message, and the church exploded, and it's been going ever since, and it's happening right here today. Isn't it amazing when you stop and consider the couple of thousands of, couple thousand years that this has been going on, this gospel keeps changing and transforming lives all over the world. We are a part of a global movement, not just a local church, that's a big part of it, but we're also part of a global movement, and that's what I want to focus on today. Uh, Paul is sharing an account with the Romans, and I just threw this up here to show you some of his heart and perspective. And he says, but now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, let's just pause and think about that for a second. Paul had worked so hard, there was no more work for him to do in those regions? Are you kidding me? Wow, it must have been a powerful thing that was going on. And since I have longed for many years to come to you, he's talking about the church in Rome, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. If any of you are familiar with your map, you know that you have to go through Italy to get to Spain from Jerusalem. Paul, was, he had his sights set on Spain. He was headed to the outer edges of the known world at that time. We don't know if Paul actually ever made it to Spain. The Bible doesn't say. Some people think that he did and some people don't think that he did. He was eventually killed in Rome. We know that. But what's, what's the deal here? He's saying, I wanna, I've, I've done all this work in this region. I, I want to come to where you are. I want to go beyond where you are into Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. So we see that there's this situation where these guys that are going into the world, they're being helped by the local churches to accomplish their mission once I've enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem 
Here's some of his current plans. He's leaving wherever he is at the time. He's heading to Jerusalem. He's bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So what do we see going on in the church world at the time? The church has exploded. It's just a few decades later. There are churches in all of these places. Paul's interacting with them. He's, he's taking an offering that's been taken in two areas, and he's taking that, those resources to, back to Jerusalem because apparently there's some poor people in Jerusalem that need some aid. Meanwhile, he's planning on going to Rome, and then he's planning on going beyond Rome. I say all of this to to show you that the scripture shows us that we are to not only have a heart for our local mission, but a heart for our global mission. You are part of a worldwide movement and a worldwide family. And so we as a church want to participate in that at every level. So what was I doing? This was my fourth trip to South Africa. And I'm going to talk to you about four different individuals or groups today that we support as a church, people that we sow into financially, people that we, uh, get, we sow into in terms of time, gifting, every resource uh, we want to sow into. And I want to begin with the group that I was recently spending time with in South Africa, which is the Issachar Alliance, or just Issachar, we would call them. There's a Bible verse that talks about the sons of Issachar who were with David and they knew the signs of the times. And they were there to help David's mission along. But um, you got several different colored X's up here, and I will refer back to this map several times for those of you that are nerds like me and like to understand where on the map we are. You'll see those two red X's in eastern South Africa. Uh, that's where I was this time. Uh, the northern part of South Africa, there, or the northern X that I was at was Peter Maritzburg or several communities near there. Uh, Hilton, more specifically, but it's a smaller suburb. And I was spending time with Paul Simpson and his wife, Shannon. Paul was here last December. Paul is like six and a half feet tall, giant cricket player, uh, very friendly guy. And uh, I've known Paul for probably about seven years now. I met him in an, a, the town of Clarence, which I will explain to you a little bit later while I was over in South Africa for a conference. And Paul was working into some of the same areas we had been working into, and so I, I was fascinated with what he was doing. We began to build a friendship, and we've been building a friendship ever since. And we sow significantly into Paul and Shannon's ministry, Issachar. They planted it, they lead it, and um, they also plant churches, and I'll explain more of that as we go. But that's Paul and his wife, Shannon. They have four children. Uh, Kizia is the oldest girl there on the left, Aaron in the lower right is their son, and then Caleb is their youngest son. And then they have their adopted daughter, Kara, who was super cute. She was very friendly and just blends right in, fighting with her older brothers, just like an all-American family would. It was great. I really enjoyed these guys. Uh, I also spent time with uh, Paul's team. Paul has a team of leaders. There's four of them specifically that lead Issachar. And this is Colin. Uh, some of you may know Colin that have traveled in the past or been to other regions beyond events. Uh, Colin was part of regions beyond, and he planted a church in Bloemfontein, South Africa. And then he and his wife, Pam, left that, and they joined Paul, where he is. He's kind of a theological guy. He writes a lot of teaching and training material, some of which that I've received copies of. And I sp stayed several days in Colin and Pam's home, uh, going over some of that material, just talking life and hearing their story and things like that. So they're one of the couples that's on Paul and Shannon's team. From the UK originally, but have lived in South Africa for probably five years or so now. 
this is Gareth and Nikki Uthzusen. Try saying that. I actually asked Gareth, I said, Gareth, tell me how to properly pronounce your name. He said, no, I'm not even going to try. Just say whatever you sound it out as, just say it confidently and it'll be fine. <laughs> so I just call, how about just Uth, O-T-H. Uh, Gareth and Nikki are natives of South Africa. They're from Cape Town. But uh, those of you that know Steve Oliver, Gareth took over the church in Clarence for Steve many, many years ago now. I, I can't remember how many. And he led that church for a long time. And then he joined Paul in his mission with Issachar. And so he's there with Paul and Colin. And he's kind of an administratively minded guy. He's got a real heart for the poor. He works into a lot of the local poor areas. Uh, and I was able to join him in that. He and I had lots of good conversation about um, some of their resourcing, their business development opportunities and things like that. And Gareth and Nikki have uh, the three boys. So really enjoyed getting to know them and had met them in the past. Now, I wanted to show you on this map where that little green X is. There's a little landlocked nation called Lesotho, is how you say that. And on the northern border where that green X is, is the town of Clarens. Some of you have been there. We've had missions teams that have gone over and stopped by there on their way further south. So we'll come back to that. But that's where Gareth was a pastor, and it's where our first connection with South Africa took place, was in Clarens. So just to have some frame of reference there. This is Leon and um, his wife and two children. And what, what's special about Leon is, you know, in South Africa, um, they have basically three categories of races. And I'm going to use the words they use, okay? So if you're PC police, you're not going to like me, but here it is, okay? We've got, you've got white and you've got colored and you've got black, and that's how they refer to it. And now they have a significantly growing Indian population as well. And what it means to be colored is it, it means you're mixed race. So Leon is mixed race, possibly even some Indian, and they're an entirely different culture in and of themselves. To the whites, they're not white. To the blacks, they're not black. They're, they're in the middle. They have very unique culture in the way that they operate. And I went and stayed with Leon. He leads a church in a town called... Um, I just lost it. Not Hilton, but uh, Harding. Thank you very much. Uh, Harding is a church that Paul had planted. Paul and Leon have been best friends for many, many years. Leon took over that church. That's where he lives today. I went down to their house and stayed with them. And their daughter there on the right, Lashandre is her name. She, ha she just got her visa and is possibly coming to the United States at some point this next year. And we've talked about having her in Montana for a month or so while she's here doing some internship type stuff here in Montana, but significantly with a church in Colorado that we've just begun establishing a relationship with called Brave, who I went and visited a year or so ago. But Leon is one of those four main leaders. So you've got Paul, uh, Colin, Gareth, and Leon. Now Leon will be coming over here too. Leon, my hope is that Leon will be standing in this pulpit sometime in the next six months to a year. And so we've been working on that. Leon's got a very evangelistic gift and a lot of faith for healing. And so that's kind of how he ministers to the group. So there you go. That's the four leaders I really was spending my time with. Now, I want to explain, this was one of the most productive trips I've ever had. And for me, I'm going to try and share some of our vision or thinking about missions um, and, uh, you know, I think 
we often have the tendency to think of missions as something you do once in your life, and you go there and you help build something for the poor, or you hand out some money, and maybe you do a little outreach for a church or something like that, and that's fine. That, that, that is the pattern most of us have been in most of our lives, but what I really want to see and foster at Mount Helena Community Church is a thinking that goes beyond that. A thinking that says, I want to save my money where every other year I'm going somewhere. I'm going to build long-term relationships. I'm going to make a real investment over time. I'm going to become a part of their culture, not necessarily pushing mine into their context, things like that. Because when you go to a place like South Africa, it's been influenced by Western Europe and America for many, many, many years. And imposing Western ideals or thought does not necessarily carry very well in their context. So we have to adjust and adapt and raise up local indigenous type leaders in order to better reach the tribal groups, the different parts uh, of Africa. And that's what Issachar does. Paul has had, I don't know, I mean, God's just blessed him with this, these opportunities where he meets different pastors and uh, network leaders that are African guys and he begins to come alongside them and help them in their journey with training, with some resourcing, with, edu- with helping them get businesses up and going to help support their ministry. Because so much in, in South Africa and really a lot of the world is the white guys in charge. And it can be very difficult once you get stuck in that pattern to bring indigenous peoples into the positions of leadership and the church hasn't been any different. So after hundreds of years of influence, it's still a major, major issue in other contexts. It's one of the most challenging things when you go to another nation on a mission trip is getting your mind around their cultural context and trying to understand it. And you go, boy, if you just do this or you just think like that or you just be like this, you could fix this, but it just doesn't work that way. And so we go in to serve. We go in to build long-term relationships. All of these people that I'm going to show you today that we support as a church, uh, we believe in building a two-way relationship. We will influence them with some of our support, but they will influence us with theirs. When you see Leon's gift at work, you will understand. It goes both ways. Americans are needy in a different way. That's so true. Americans are needy in a different way. And we can benefit from their gift significantly. But it can be very, very difficult to navigate. So we need, we need to be working with people that know how to bridge those gaps which we do not necessarily know how to do. So we partner with people like Paul. This is what it looked like when I got there. Fog. Fog and more fog. Not far off the coast, this part of where, where Paul lives, they grow avocados, they grow macadamia nuts, things like that. It's beautiful, uh, and it's one of the ways they're looking at resourcing their ministry is by purchasing property and raising avocados, and they've, they've got all the connections in place. They're just working towards using that as a way to support Issachar as a group. By the way, all those leaders support themselves. They've come up with ways, that, whether it's partly through donation from groups or whatever, it's not the organization that supports them. They've actually, they're, cut, they're running their own businesses, they're investing in things, they're trying to support themselves as a part of their ministry because the churches aren't um, particularly wealthy. This is Paul's house. Uh, just a picture, you can see it's beautiful and green there. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was very sad to come home and look at all this snow on the ground. To give you a picture of what goes on in Issachar so so that you can kind of understand what I've been learning and why I'm so excited to continue to invest in these guys. 
Um, that bottom row of blue blocks, that's the Issachar ministry. You've got local church, which includes Freedom Church, that we had a team went over and helped them get launched. Some of you remember this. A few years ago, we sent a team to help Freedom Church get launched. I spoke in their church one of the Sundays that I was there. They also have the church in Harding that Paul planted. I also spoke in that church the previous Sunday. They're, they're part of the support network in Issachar. They've got a support team, which is those four leaders plus a couple others, I think, coming on. They've got a training center there at Paul's home that's being developed and working on what they do is they bring pastors, and we're talking not just South Africa, all up the east coast of Africa. They've got a lot of work in, they call it uh, Tanzania. We call it Tanzania. It's Tanzania, okay? So, and so that, that they go there. They're in Mozambique and some other nations. I'll show you on a map here in a little bit. But every one of these orange circles represents somebody. A person leading groups of churches. There are thousands of people represented in this circle. You got Zekile, Leon, Fabian, Pat, Calmito, Zenas, Kamole, Philip, and Cyril. And they all lead entire groups of churches from where they're from. These are guys who got saved and planted churches, and then they just start walking to the neighboring village and they plant churches. And we're not talking 10 people. They're, some of them are that, but there are other churches up to 100, 200 people. And these guys are overseeing that, and then Paul comes behind these, these African guys to support them in what they're doing because they do, they're, they're so much better in their context of reaching people and making disciples in that way. So they've built relationship with these guys over the years. You will notice there's Zenus from Pakistan. Guess who can't get into Pakistan? I can't, but Paul can. And if I did get into Pakistan, I'm not sure I'd come home. It's not safe. Uh, I, in fact, Janie and I had a missionary friend randomly stop by our house a few months ago. She had been in Pakistan. When bin Laden was assassinated, they got thrown out. Their persecution broke out. She had to flee the nation into a neighboring nation. And, but Paul has access there. And the stories, the, the stories that each one of these guys represent, some of these I have met, others I have not. You got Zanzibar little island off the east coast of Africa in Dar es Salaam. They've got churches planted there. They're getting going. They're training these guys. It's very, very exciting, the growth. They have business development. What they're trying to do is get, because in the African way, there's, there's just not a lot of money, and people don't give a lot towards things. And so a guy that pastors a church or a group of churches still can't support himself off of the tithes and offerings of that. They're just not there. And so one thing that we can do to help is help these guys develop kind of business uh, mindset and how to invest money and things like that. Because when they, you grow up in a, an extremely impoverished situation, um, if they have money that day, they spend it because they might not have it tomorrow. And so thinking ahead and planning for down the road and making investments that will make money is very challenging for them. When you grow up not eating some days, it's hard to get your mind around saving money for something, you know, and those kind of things. And it just has to do with the culture they grew up in. So, that, so they're working with them, whether it be farming, whether it be raising some livestock, whether it be, um, uh, they, for some reason, little rentals. And when I say rental, I'm talking smaller than my backyard shed, okay? But they'll, people will rent them out as a room, and so they, they make income off of those kind of things. I saw in the villages where they're super poor, they'll do things like they'll you know, you can go to Costco and you can get a great big container of little bags of chips. Well, they'll buy a thing like that and they'll bring it to their village and they'll try and sell those chips for a tiny bit of profit to the kids. 
You know, for like one rand, you can get a bag of chips, and they'll, but, you know, that, it's, it's just interesting and challenging. So they got stuff in Pakistan. There's, they say Pakistan, 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 and um, there's one that's not up there uh, developing in Myanmar. Again, another place that can be difficult to get into. They're doing a lot of Zoom training and things like that. It's just real on-the-ground, day-to-day discipleship and development, and I love it. Uh, This is Leon and Brian, the youth pastor down at Harding. I spent a lot of time with them and looking forward to having Leon here. I was able to visit with the youth ministry one night. Um, They do load shedding there for electricity, so there's a certain number of hours every day that there's no electricity, which can be very frustrating. I mean, if you can imagine, and this is exactly what happens, we're having a service right now and all the electricity shuts off. So we all pull out our flashlights and magnetic one and put it on the ceiling or hook it up or whatever and just keep going. And that's what they do. And they have to plan around that. They do know when the power is going to be shut off, so they, they do that kind of thing. Uh, this was a church in Harding. Again, just beautiful. Uh, there's evidence I actually did preach. I'm not lying to you. So after my time in Harding, I returned to Hilton, and I did a leadership getaway with their leadership team. This is why this was so productive to me. Is there was a, I spent... Three days with their leadership team while they're planning next year. They're talking about their finances. They're talking about new church plants. They're talking about how they're going to handle these different nations that they're investing in. Each one of those guys kind of has their own spheres of influence within that, uh, places that they're spearheading into. I mean, it, it just blew my mind. It's very much not how we operate here. And so I was trying to glean some things for vision for the United States or for our context that might help us. But we spent several days planning a big, beautiful farmhouse we went out to and stayed. Yeah, those are flowers. I don't know if you forgot what those are by now, but beautiful area that I was in. So we sat at this picnic table out on the porch and, and did lots of planning. You can see there's Paul there on the right. And if I were to go counterclockwise, you got Gareth, Colin, Leon. And then the, the gentleman on the far left, his name is Oliver. And Oliver is a pastor in that little tiny nation of Lesotho, one of the poorest nations in the world. And it's very, very rural and very little opportunity. And, um, but he was an engineer in Zimbabwe and felt God called him to be a pastor in Lesotho. So he left that behind with his family and packed up his family. He's got two little boys and they live in a hut with no electricity in Lesotho. And uh, so he gets his little solar panel out and charges his phone about once a day, he has an opportunity to shoot out some texts to people like me who are in touch with him to say, hey, how was your trip back to the U.S.? Praying for you. Uh, just thinking, man, I'm praying for you. You're, you're, living, you're living it. So we had a great time. We were looking at some of their theological training and things like that. There's Oliver, real prophetic gift, um, just in prayer. We spent a couple hours every morning in the Word and in prayer. It was just a sweet, peaceful presence of God time we had. And that was as refreshing to me as anything. Somebody did let me get a hold of the whiteboard for a while. This, <laughs> I'm not sure if it's a gift, but I loved a whiteboard, so we started talking about some of their financial situation and how to generate funds and things like that, and so I nerded out with them for a while. And uh, I know that doesn't make sense to you, but it, it does make sense to us, so there you go. I was able to participate with them on some of their planning. Just some scenic pictures here. That's a eucalyptus tree. 
they're developing the, uh, theological training um, that fits more of an African context as well as uh, translating it into other languages. Portuguese, believe it or not, is a big language up the east coast of Africa. Uh, here, here's four guys, four families, just putting their connections into action and they're changing Africa. You know, there's a lot of people being influenced and I'm, I can get behind that. One of the things we think of philosophically as elders and leaders of the church is that we, there are hundreds, thousands of people and organizations that do good work that we could sow into. But our objective is to build a relationship and accountability back and forth and investment back and forth. So there's lots of things to sow into, but these ones where we can really develop relationally are where we uh, go. This is in, they didn't do a very good job of coloring out this guy's face, did they? But this is in Pakistan. In Pakistan, you can be killed for being a Christian. In fact, this Zenus's uncle was beaten to death with a hammer um, for being a Christian pastor. And he and his brother, his dad's still alive. His dad, seven days a week, traveling around on a bicycle to dozens of churches. They had no, very little connection with the outside world. You know, you get saved and you have a certain amount of information or a Bible or things like that. And, you know, I... I I think it was Christianity Today, I can't remember who came out with a study recently, said the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. Can you believe that? Why? Because there's people out there like this that get radically saved and God changes their world and they're willing to risk their lives to teach others about it and so they just kind of sneak around. It's not entirely illegal to be a Christian in Pakistan, but there's a lot of persecution and things like that. Paul and Leon were able to go into Pakistan and uh, reach out to these guys. I want to mention something else too. How many of you have ever received an email that says you're a Nigerian prince or princess? If you just send me $1,000, we'll send you your money. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, you all know what I'm talking about. That's very real in the African context. There's a lot of... Um, it's, it's, you, you could say that it's easy to get people saved. Actually, what it is, it's easy to get Africans to raise their hand. So you can have a meeting and everybody in the room will get saved. But it's, it's, the actual substance of that is much more difficult to get to. And what ends up happening is they end up developing these quasi-Christian mixed with some of their old witchcraft stuff into these really mixed up religions. So they, they'll still sacrifice cows to their ancestors and go to church on Sunday just to cover all their bases. So there's a lot of idolatry and, and weirdness that begins to work its way into their religion. But there's also... Um, a lot of scam. Guys that do become pastors because they really latched on to the Pentecostal movement and really elevated the pastor. The pastor is like a really, really big deal. They do suit and ties. I mean, they may not have electricity. They'll have a suit and tie, some of these groups. And what ends up happening is they kind of turn into charlatans. They really start scamming people for money, and Americans are terribly vulnerable to that. And they, this is, this is a little bit harsh, what I'm going to say, but, you know, they joke that if you send an American a picture of a starving kid with a fly on his face, they're going to get money. And it's become almost like a cynicism for them. So we have to be very careful of our tendencies as Americans that we're totally unaware of uh, going into these other contexts. So we have to be very careful about what we get involved with, and so does Paul. If he's connecting to all these African pastors, and there's probably more that they've had to leave behind than there is shown on there because of that, because these guys are really just looking for money and to build their little 
financial empire rather than actual gospel-centered discipleship. And so they face that challenge every single day. And you may not know this, but as a church, we get, I get emails all the time from guys that will find my email on Facebook on our website and will email me, and I'll send it to people like Paul and say, do you know this guy? And 99% of the time, it's scam. But every once in a while, there are real things, real connections that can happen. I think of uh, Brandon Friedis. Brandon, are you in here? Brandon and Lee, they got a connection through an old their old church through a guy, to a guy in Malawi, and he reached back and contacted them, and we start you know, flushing that situation out. We put him in contact with Issachar. They're really excited to be connected with Davy Zunda, by the way. I don't think I got to tell you that yet, Brandon, but Leon was jacked about Davy and his heart and his attitude and those kind of things. And so we're really excited about how that happens. But that's what happened in this situation. These guys in Pakistan start looking around. They don't know who to reach out to in the world. They ended up contacting Paul. I just think it's Paul's gift. He's just like a magnet for this kind of stuff. And they think it's a scam from somebody in Pakistan, but they go ahead and follow back with it anyway. It's not a scam. This is a person that really needed help and training and friendship. and So that's developing. I'm spending way too long talking. Our friend Clem has been invested in the situation in South Africa. Brian Acey, our former pastor, they both travel there at least annually to encourage Paul and to help them with some of their trainings and things like that. I was there over Thanksgiving, so they decided that they wanted to do Thanksgiving. And so they made a turkey, and I had to carve it. They weren't sure about what they were doing. But I told them all about Thanksgiving, and they put together all kinds of stuff in their own local way, and we had an awesome Thanksgiving dinner. They loved it. They think they're going to keep it going as a tradition. It was so good. Just again, a beautiful scene in Paul's yard that I saw. This is the this is a waterfall at Halleck. It's right outside of town. There's townships and stuff around the edges of this. This is the church in Hilton where I preached the second Sunday I was there. Again, evidence. I really was working. If you wanted to learn more about Issachar, you guys, please ask me. We have designated uh, funds for these guys and for some of these others that I'm going to show you. We support them out of our general fund as a church. When you give the tithes and offerings, we have money that is budgeted that goes to these things that we send. But we also encourage to, above and beyond your giving to the church, that you give towards these things. That money then goes directly to them from us. We have uh, contacts with them in, with our banks. We've set all this stuff up where we can send money over easily. Or more than that, if you want to just have conversation about that, or, or maybe you're interested in going in the future, um, please ask me about that. But you can go to the Iskar Alliance on Facebook. Uh, I have an informational PDF that I can get in your hands that shows all of these leaders and their context and what they're doing, how Iskar is structured, and things like that. Uh, I also want to mention something just for our heart as a church. I said, I, I want to get to a place where a mission trip isn't a once-in-a-lifetime thing that you do, but it's something that you consider doing on an annual or semi-regular basis. Like, we're you know, COVID shut us down for a couple of years, but we're re-engaging with doing multiple trips. We've got a, a crew going to South Africa. It sounds like it's coming together. I'm understanding for maybe April or May. Is that right? In May. Yeah, and I'll talk about that in a few minutes if I have time. Um... I'm going to, by the way, Nick, I'm going to go ahead and skip that video so I don't have time for that. Okay, also, we go way further north into Central Africa in a tiny nation that I've circled there to the west of Tanzania called Burundi. 
And Burundi, Burundi and Rwanda are right next to each other. By the way, those of you guys as Americans would think Rwanda, that's where all the genocide and stuff happened, right? Yes, and it is. And you know what one of the most secure and safe nations in Africa you can go to today is? Rwanda. Can you believe that? They've totally turned it around. They have museums uh, against the genocide or talking about the genocide. That'll never happen again, that kind of thing. They really turned the government over and things like that in Rwanda. But we're talking about Burundi, just south of there, who has not recovered so well. It's been a very difficult place. And you will know Donna Bloomfield. Donna's been here. She's spoken on a Sunday morning, although it's been a number of years. Uh, I continue to make contact with her. Some of you continue to support her. We send her finances on a regular basis. She's got a nonprofit organization based out of England. She went from England to Burundi as a teacher many years ago, and it caught her heart. And so then she goes back down there, and she is teaching them about farming. They're, they're developing farming. They're now raising enough um, food to feed themselves for a, month, for a year, some of these families are. In the midst of that, some churches are getting planted and going. And so that's amazing. I had, there's a five-minute video on Donna's website, which I can't show you now because I don't have time. But you're going to want to check that out, and I'll give you the website here in a second. Here's a couple photos of the kids in Burundi. Burundi is often listed in the bottom few poorest nations in the world. I can't wait to get Donna back over here. If you want to learn more about Donna or connect with what she's doing, I just was Facebook chatting with her yesterday, asking her some more, any new news or things like that kind of questions. She's on Facebook, Donna Bloomfield, hopefortomorrowglobal.org. And please, if you have questions about this, please, please, please contact me. I want to keep getting behind these guys and supporting what they're doing. They're out on the front lines taking the gospel and real life change into these places where it's very, very difficult. You guys know this guy. This is the good doctor, as I sometimes call him, Dr. Clem Ferris. Clem is a longtime friend of Mount Helena Community Church. We support Clem on a, on a regular basis here. Why? Because Clem travels all over the world strengthening leaders. He is an in-demand conference speaker. I, he just got back. I just confused myself earlier. Where is this? Anybody read that and tell me where that is? Nope, you can't. Someone say Taiwan? I, I couldn't remember if it... I think it's Taiwan. It's Taiwan or Thailand. I got them mixed up. Sorry. They probably wouldn't appreciate that very much. But uh, yeah, Clem travels the world. Rich Gao is kind of a protege of Clem from North Carolina. They went into Taiwan. They hadn't been there in over 20 years. The church has exploded to tens of thousands of people. And they're planting churches all over the region and into the neighboring nations. Uh, Clem has stories. One time he was chased out of a conference center in China and had to hide in the mountains overnight. The Chinese government came in and, with bulldozers and leveled the entire conference center where they were meeting. He, he doesn't come off that way if you just chat with him or he's here preaching. The guy's got stories and he's got connections and we really believe in the work that he does on a global scale. So we support Clem very much and we have him here once or twice a year. He'll be here in the end of March this next year. He's also a part of Manny University. Cassie's been there. Nick's been taking some classes from there. Uh, that got started uh, with... Um, some of Clem's friends over in the North Carolina area. Uh, that's one of his friends there on the left who actually just recently passed away. So Clem's involved with that. 
And there's our good friend Brian Acey, former pastor of our church with Clem. They were down in Bozeman. They worked together in the nations. Uh, recently, it's only been South Africa together, but Clem has taken Brian a number of times into other places to make connections. And uh, Jason actually has traveled with Clem as well many years ago. So Clem is getting the work done all over the world. And Paul and Issachar Ministries brings him in also as a person to support them on a regular basis. So we support him. You may, may remember Josh Cook being here a few years ago as well. He's now, uh, I better not say for sure, but their group planted a church in Port Elizabeth, South Africa, where we have been. Clem also wrote the book Stewarding Prophecy, and uh, we use that here. So you can learn more about Clem Ferris at clemferris.com or on his Facebook or Instagram. Connect with him. He, he gives out a newsletter on a regular basis. Every month we get newsletters from Clem. Where is he traveling? What can we pray for him for? What are some of the needs in the areas where he's going? Last one I want to mention today is Village South Africa. Uh, this is, you know, number of different connections here. My father-in-law was my original context for this, connected with a guy that owns a ranch and does hunting in South Africa, but then he was going out into the rural areas and doing ministry. He was involved in a local orphanage, and then some of, some of you guys latched on to that. We got the Sioux Timers, the Voights, the Quigleys, they got getting connected with uh, Rufus and, and Village South Africa, and they do a lot of work um, in different ways there. So if you look at my map again, you look at the two blue X's along the southern coast, uh, the northern one is an area called the Trans Sky, uh, near a place called Lusiki Siki, very, very poor part of the nation. We've done, um, helped with soup kitchens and uh, building projects and things like that. The southern X is where Rufus lives. There's an orphanage there. There's a couple others in the area. There's um, lots of things that they, they do there. Um, these are some older photos that I had because I didn't have any up-to-date ones, but there are these, we call them mamas. And there are ladies in these villages that just keep an eye on the kids. They get malnourished. They need education, things like that. They assist with that. There's our very own Becky Voigt there in this photo. This is Mama Nomakaya. She's one of the other mamas that, that we have helped in the past. And they're over there uh, getting it done. We've sent teams over there. You will recognize some of these friendly faces. How about you paint that on your house? It's interesting. There's the Canny Brothers doing some construction. Here's a photo from the orphanage. Here's a picture of Rufus's place from a distance where the hunters come and learn about ministry opportunities as well as hunting. We've worked on construction projects there. Um, there's lots of information available, villagesouthafrica.com. Um, I spelled that wrong. You're going to want to check that. jjhaven.org.za, huntessay.com, huntessay on Facebook, Village South Africa on Facebook. We can get all this information to you if you are interested. I became a servant of this gospel. This is what we're called to, like Paul, to serve this gospel, this mission. Church isn't just a club that you attend a meeting on a Sunday and sing some songs and listen to JREL at you for a while. It's a mission that we're on. It's something that's going to go on until Christ returns. It's introducing people to hope and to truth, good news, to life transformation, to a spiritual rebirth. You and I are a part of that mission. 
in all kinds of ways. Even if, even if it's given a little bit of money, but more than that, I want to encourage all of you to consider, how do I get more involved? How do I build connection in the nations? How do I go on one of these trips? And so I, I hope to be able to continue to provide opportunity for you by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Would you stand, please? I covered a lot of information there, all to let you know that we have a heart for the kingdom in the nations as well as locally. And I probably haven't updated you enough in recent years on this, but we are very active in working with individuals that are really doing the work in other places as well. Before I pray for us this morning, I also want to let you know that, remind you that we do have a link right after the meeting over here. So if you're new and want to join me there, please do that. Also, we are hosting uh, Lowell Bartle's Christmas party for the developmentally disabled this Thursday, which means we need to stack all these chairs in order to make room in here for that to take place. So after we close this morning, if you would consider helping us stack these chairs for high, we, that would help us out a ton to prepare for Lowell's party on Thursday. I also have to mention uh, that uh, the, if you want to volunteer to help us with the New Year's Eve party, there's going to be a meeting in the blue room, literally blue, right out in the corner here, right before you go out the south doors on the right. You'll see it there. It's painted blue inside uh, at 11.15. So if you're interested in helping us with that, we could use some volunteers to kick off a great New Year's Eve party for our community. So if you're interested in that, please stop by there. Let's pray. God, I just first want to thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> I never dreamed that you would use me or my family or anybody I knew to do something in other parts of the world. I just, I'm amazed. I thank you that we have this opportunity, that we have friends, that there are real productive discipleship works going on all over the world that we can be a part of and we can help with and fuel this mission that you launched all those years ago to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. So God, I pray that you would continue to lead us as a church, fostering a right attitude, a right perspective, a right heart in terms of generosity and how to interact with other cultures and um, how to just embrace other types of people all over the world. God, I pray that you would find us faithful with those connections. And God, you continue to open doors and that we also would be influenced in our own local context in positive ways by our friends that are doing the work, taking risks, living on very little in some cases all around the world. God, I thank you that we're part of such a big and awesome family that you are creating. So continue to stir our hearts. Lead each one today as they leave here today. God, in the power of your spirit, Lord, your word says that we have your mind. Lord, I pray that you would be just filling people with your spirit and understanding your ways and drawing close to you and listening for your voice leading our hearts as we go about our day-to-day -day lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you very much, everyone. We'll see you back here next Sunday. Have a great week.